This episode was made possible by my generous supporters on Patreon. Welcome to my new patron this month, Ariane the Conning, who gets a recommendation spot for Manga Mosaic and a well-triggered Dogface avatar. Trigger on! <laughs> Mike sounded kind of nice. sexual now that I think back on it. <laughs> Welcome, dear all, to the Duckface Diaries. We are a World Trigger read-through podcast aiming to discuss the World Trigger manga volume by volume. I'm Wednesday Dale Cheddar. And I'm Hoven with an H, and this week we'll be covering Volume 8, which covers chapters 71 to 79, and episodes 32 to 35 of the anime for those watching along. That's right, and today we also welcome a very special guest. So, uh, he is the host of Weekly Manga Recap, a manga podcast um, that we have been listening to for a very long time. Um, he's Zoe Legrand mm. from Dice Funk, and also other characters I don't know yet, sir, since I'm uh, I'm just on season three. <laughs> the acclaimed author of World Trigger to My Heart and Backdoor, the counter of the Duck Faces, Chris Larios, aka Rolo T. Uh, what have you been up to, sir? I have been up to quite a lot. Uh, I do need to interject real quick. Which volume are we discussing? Volume nine. <laughs> oh my god. I screwed up. This is bad. <laughs> okay. All right. No, 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 that's fine. I wanted to make sure I didn't read the wrong volume. No, no, it's okay. We... <laughs> I could just say, I'll just say volume nine here and, and Wednesdaydale can edit that in. Don't worry. You're all good. Oh. What I did was basically I, I often copy the template from the last volume of which chapters and episodes we're covering. And I updated the chapters and episodes, but not the volume. <laughs> uh, off to a flying start. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to the the Scrubs rewatch podcast where they have uh, Turk and JD <laughs> from the actual show do it. And they have like guests on. There's, there was one episode where they had uh, Dr. Cox on. Oh, nice. And like they start doing a recap of it. And he's like, guys, I, I have to stop you. I, I watched the wrong episode. <laughs> and it's just an hour of them trying to vamp and figure out what to do now that they're, they're like, oh, we didn't we didn't coordinate this right. <laughs> nice. So, so the official release of, of most manga in, in Shonen Jump wasn't available in Eastern Europe. So um, there were a few times on Stammer streams where, where like we we discussed uh, all the chapters and uh, uh oh uh, i got the wrong chapter but because it's it's not available to me oh oops don't you like how that happens do you want me to just go back and start talking about uh, start answering as though you you had asked me the question from before oh uh, i think we'll keep that in but yeah what have you been off to oh, okay yeah it's quite amusing <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway uh to start off with uh we're just gonna do a little bit of a a little bit of an interview uh to our guest so uh chris yes those who might not know how did you get into World Trigger? So did you like start following it weekly from chapter one or jump on board of some ways in? Uh, so as you mentioned, I do a manga podcast called Weekly Manga Recap with my very good buddy, uh, Nicholas Freeman. And in it, we basically discuss a whole bunch of different chapters that come out each week from the Shonen Jump magazine. So, you know, One Piece, Bleach, Naruto, that, those were the series that were kind of running at the time. And eventually we started using the English Simul Plub for uh that viz puts out for uh shonen jump and they added world trigger to it i don't think it was a series we would have picked up on had viz not put it in the actual like magazine because that was also back when chapters weren't released individually it was all one big long file that was put together like a digital magazine so we started from that with chapter one mm. and uh infamously did not like it the first time we read it <laughs> 
Yeah, your initial impressions were a bit negative, particularly of Yuma. <laughs> yeah, oh, um, we hated Yuma. We hated his duck face. Um, and I think I think it took until the moment that Kitora cut off that one dude's head. I think it was, was Yondera, I think it was the person she was fighting. Yonea the Yandere, yes. <laughs> yes. She cuts off his head with the scorpion she made out of her uh, severed foot that I was like, all right, maybe this thing's kind of <laughs> dope. And I, I feel like from that moment on, we immediately both turned on the series and we loved it again. Nice. Mm, yeah, I, I remember you also be uh, you also were pretty big on the podcast where, where like Yuma was explaining some of his backstory to, to Jika and the Shrine. That's when you, I think, stopped uh, like just counting the duck faces every chapter. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it it took a little bit, and then once you get like an actual narrative for him, and you you start to see a backstory, you're like, oh, he's a full fledged character, and all this has kind of made sense. Look, we, we there's an oddity in producing a weekly podcast where you have to give reactions to every chapter, kind of as they come out on a weekly basis, where sometimes you just aren't able to give the author the credit of the doubt, you know. As a mistake on our part, because you're just like, oh, who cares? This is dumb. And then you're like, oh, wait, stories oftentimes take time to tell. <laughs> and sometimes the details at the start yeah. make more sense with the details you get later on. So sometimes you look like quite the fool. I mean, I it, it's not as bad as me. It took me until a whole second read through slash watch through of the series to properly get on board with it. So I understand. Yeah. One of your famous tweets was uh, world trigger, more like yawn trigger, more like possible trigger. <laughs> more like adequate trigger. Um, what? Who are some of your favorite characters in the series? Uh, well, I love Osamu for every reason that I should and shouldn't. He He's just such an enigma in Shonen Jump in that he's, he's easily the weakest, like kind of worst unspecial protagonist jump has and yet he is such a, a perfect embodiment of what a shonen protagonist should be literally the only thing that's special about him is just this unyielding kind of uh determination to help all of his friends out and it's it's not played in a very stereotypical or goofy way it's it's given a lot of grounded realism but it, it it's such a compelling thing and you know and i like uh Kitor, I, I've come to enjoy um, pretty much everybody. There's very few characters in World Trigger I don't like. There's many I forget. Uh, I was just—I like Ninomiya a lot, and I feel like a lot of people really hate him, uh, which they should. He is a bad person, but I, I don't know. I always like bad guys and things, and I just like how relentlessly shitty he is to everybody. <laughs> He's quite an excellent uh, rival figure, yeah. And last of all, which character in World Trigger do you think would make the most entertaining professional wrestler, and why? Oh, who would make the best? I mean, Ninomiya as like a heel. I mean, he's pretty much got it. He's so arrogant and 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 just condescending in like an effortless way. But I'm trying to think who would be the big bombastic like face character. I guess Konami would be a good one since she always like does a chokehold of Osamu. Yeah, she 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 also has that big personality that would that would win her over with people. Yuba could definitely kind of pull off a fun Yakuza uh, gimmick. <laughs> yeah, to it. I can see that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with them. If not that, then uh, Tachikawa. I feel like uh, there's always room for uh, the guy who's great in the ring, but a complete idiot outside of it. There's always a good spot for a character like that. Yeah, Himbo Energy is always a crowd pleaser. Yeah. That's all. We got one coming up later on in the spoiler corner, but we'll get to that when we get to that.
All right then, so for today's agenda, we will do a quick recap of Volume 9, uh, created by Daisuke Ashihara, as usual, translated by Lillian Elson, designed by Sam Ellsway, a touch-up and lettering done by Ace Chrisman, and edited by Hope Donovan and Marlene Fuss. Uh, then we'll move on to our general thoughts and random observations. Uh, Ashihara comments corner, as usual. Spoiler corner. Um, just a brief one, uh, apart from the question. And uh, to our Q&A segment. Uh, is that all right with you? Are you ready? Ready. Yes. All right. Let's get to the summary. So... We open on the fight between Shinoda and Enodora the Explorer, Mikami Kazama's operator recapping the neighbor's strengths and weaknesses in the background. Uh, so Enodora attempts a gaseous attack to tear the heavy hitter open from the inside, but Tsutsumi counters back by switching on the AC. Shinoda asks Mikami to give him the location of the neighbor's try and supply system and relay center, saying that no matter how many dummy shells around them there are, he will hit them all regardless. And indeed he does, eliminating the dummies too fast for Enidora to be able to create new ones, uh, all just with his Kagetsu. At the very last moment, however, Enidora brings his weak spots out of the shell, allowing himself to reform in a different location and stab Shinoda from the inside now that he's upwind. But then Shinoda's like, my job here is done, and Enidora's like, but you didn't do anything. And suddenly, Osano, uh, Osano, Osano, not Osano, uh, the sewer squad operator, yeah, uh, places the star marker on the Trine supply shell. And Hisato emerges from Comedian to get the shell, but uh, Enidora the Explorer notices him and gives him a hearty stab. Uh, however, um, Hisato uh, uses his bailout as a smokescreen, uh, just as Suwa and Tsutomi provide cover fire, only to distract from the real finisher, Kikuchihara and Utagawa's stealth attack uh, as they slash open his weak points. As everyone debates what to do with the gas stabby boy, uh, Moira opens up a wormhole to commence the re retrieval procedure. However, before Enidora the Explorer can escape, uh, Moira cuts his hand off, saying, Honestly, you've become more trouble than you're worth. The trigger horn has taken root in your brain. You don't have much longer to live, and it's affecting your personality, your unruly attitude, defying orders, and more than anything, getting defeated by regular triggers while using Barbaros. This is your final disgrace. So, yeah, everyone is shocked about the betrayal, but hilariously nonchalant about the dead body in front of them. So Shinoda orders Enidora's horns to be analysed and for Kikuchihara to search him, but Kikuchihara can't be bothered. Jin gets the news about the betrayal and shares it with Hughes, who lets himself get taunted even further by the talented elite. Meanwhile, Izumi isn't me looking so hot in his battle against High Rain, when Hyrain notices it, Izumi responds by giving the best line in the entire invasion. Don't play it so cool, Mr. Discovery Channel. Okay. And he guesses that since Hyrain's animal bullets, uh, a few bullets, uh, can cubify any Trion attack, rubble projectiles might counter that, but it only serves as cover for the Miwa Squad snipers, Atoma, who have just joined the battle now that they have a line of sight. So the combined efforts of the number one number two snipers result in a few shots seeping through the gaps of the fishy shield. But Moira steps in to occupy them with, with the rabbits she warped there, the ones that were fighting Yunea and Scruffy Hottie earlier. So long story short, everyone is at a standstill, but time seems to work for Izumi's advantage thanks to the Trion leak. But then, Hyrin unleashes the hidden ability of his trigger, absorbing back the Trion that his bullets cubified. 
With this move, Hyrin replenishes his strength and forces Izumi to bail out. With three minutes until Osama reaches HQ, Scruffy Hottie activates Geist, one of the neighbor triggers that Tamakoma collected that forces bailout after 200 seconds, but drastically boosts his close combat power. So he defeats the rabbit in one hit and plans to take on Hyrin, recalling a prior conversation he had with Jin. So basically, Scruffy Hottie has to come to terms with the fact that he can't change Osama and Chica's future in any capacity. Hyrain realizes that uh, all he has to do with Scruffy Hottie is to wait him out. And indeed, when Moira arrives, it uh, turns out that they weren't stalling him. He was stalling them, so they wouldn't get to Osamu. He slaps the fish against Scruffy Hottie's back and yeets himself out through the portal to find the Golden Goose. Scruffy Hottie has to bail out, but uh, from Jin's reaction, we can gauge that he did change something. Osama and Replica decide to tunnel their way through to HQ through buildings so they can block the cubifying bullets. But some seep through thanks to Moira's portals. Osama is outside and it looks like he's at the mercy of the two Black Trigger neighbors. But who should happen to come to his rescue? But Shuji Miwa. So Hyrain seems very confused when Miwa kicks the shit out of Osamu when asked to take care of Chika, but Miwa just replies, Shut up, neighbor! All you need to do is that I'm gonna kill you! Miwa counters Hyrain's trigger with lead bullets and separating his shield into multiple smaller ones. Uh, Osamu's trigger seems to be malfunctioning due to using Chika's tree on so many times, but desperate to get a shot in on Hyrain, he gets Replica's support to do so. This shot seems to be ineffectual, but Osamu presses on and is caught off guard by Moira, who skewers his leg. We cut over to Yuma versus Visa. Visa attempts to bait out Yuma, but to no avail. When faced with the prospect that Visa is likely one of the most powerful Afto opponents, Yuma thinks back to his father's advice to not try and win against stronger opponents. However, he decides to act against it, knowing he can't abandon Osamu. Yuma uses stealthy manoeuvres through the rubble and his radar-like echo ability to get in close to Hyrain to attack from his blind spot, but a set of shields blocks his bolt attack. Back over to Miwa versus Hyrain, much to Miwa's displeasure, Replica shields him from the jellyfish, which cost Osamu a leg earlier. Hyrain seems impatient, asking Moira to wrap things up on her end. With Moira versus Replica, Replica finally notices the tracking beacon on Osamu's arm from Hughes and sends in the Replica rabbit to shield Osamu. And just where did you get that? Moira asks. After noting that her trigger makes it difficult to kill it or warp it, she instead uses the small window attack to slice Triplica's main body in half. Like I said, she utters, futile resistance annoys me. Replica Rabbit continues on regardless, covering the panicking Osamu, uh, but is starting to be cubified by Hyrain, his destructive fight with Miwa having moved closer to them. However, the severed half of Replica still seems to be functioning on auxiliaries. It removes the tracker from Osamu and tells him he needs to be carried to the base, but still needs 20 more seconds to analyse it all further. Back over to Yuma vs Visa. Yuma is being kept at bay by Visa's Organon blades. Uh, after getting his bearings, Yuma launches a more direct assault using a combination of abilities to sacrifice his legs and then his Trion body to place a lead bullet on Visa's sword, uh, completely shocking the more experienced fighter. Yuma switches to a hidden non-combat Trion body and deals a critical blow with boost and a deck to the stomach. On a previous episode, I sort of made fun of the way the anime handled one of the big finishers with Yonaya and uh, Rampanine. Uh, I have nothing but praise for this one. This was the point where the anime's production was actually starting to improve quite a bit, and 
if you haven't seen it in anime form, this little exchange is well worth checking out. Anywho, uh, Hydrain finds out that Visa has been taken down as Yuma makes a beeline for the base. Osamu initiates his final plan, desperately dashing for the base. His cover with Replica Rabbit is finally fully cubified, with Hyrain allowing our favourite Irish portal summoner to use her small window attacks to turn him into a glasses kebab. But then, bugger off, our hero tells her. <laughs> or, or rather, trigger off, uh, as he presses on with his flesh and blood body. Meaning Hyrain's attacks are actually useless against him. Miwa's taunt leads Moira and Hyrain to try and repeat their earlier manoeuvre, but he sees through it, anticipating the portal and shooting back at them with Viper. Uh, using the last of her Treon, Moira warps Miwa away so he can charge them, leaving Hyrain as Osamu's lone pursuer. Yuma and Miwa both close in, Yuma firing off a boosted bolt, and Miwa turning off his trigger to unleash none other than the Fujin. Seven seconds till the future crossroads. Alright, let's go to our general thoughts. Uh, this volume's great. Uh, the invasion arc is something that I've I've come to appreciate more and more. I remember as we read it, it was one of those things. There's, I think, there's a, a, a issue that always comes about where the series decides to name things in a certain naming convention and just continue the naming convention. So I, I feel like the invasion. I forget the number of the chapter it gets up to, but like, you know, forty something or something like that. You're just like, this is a lot. But I say that literally as we're recording this, Jujutsu Kaisen is still in the middle of like a 50 chapter arc called, all just called the Shibuya Incident Part Whatever. So it's just a thing that happens in it. And, and reading it again, the invasion actually does flow extremely well. I think there's a, an expert sense of pacing as several chapters will end as you just keep hearing us get closer and closer to that crossroads, which could feel like a false kind of uh, threat. Because you're like, I doubt they're going to kill off the main character of the series or, you know, something along those lines. But the fact that they do play with it a little bit, particularly with having uh, Karasuma try to take out Hyrene and lose. And that seems to have put things in a worse direction because of it. Uh, Jin has that reaction of just like, what did you do as he's like, the futures have shifted again. It's, it's a good moment that keeps you guessing. Because now you don't know. The fact that they're willing to play with the idea that bad things are also happening as opposed to good things, and that shifts the future forward. It, it, it's, a, it's a great narrative tool. Hmm, interesting. Uh, um, my reading was that uh, like uh, Karasuma, despite like, kind of defying fate, changed the future slightly to the positive. But uh, that's an interesting reading, yeah. It, it may have, because ultimately it did force uh, Hyrene to reveal his combo with Mira, that he, he shoots his stuff into a portal and she brings it up behind a person, which is a trick. That's how he beats Karasuma, but then he tries that same trick against Miwa, and Miwa saw it, basically, so it doesn't work there. So maybe that's what they meant. Um, my reading, though, was that it was like you tried to change the future... And in doing so, because I asked you to stay alive as long as possible, and instead you put a specific limit on yourself to say, I'm going to stay alive for three more minutes, and then I'm gone. So, you know, who, I, I guess it could go either way. This volume, I wouldn't say it um, culminates Yuma's character arc, but it definitely provides a momentary rejection of the usual world trigger common sense that's very satisfying for the character. He abandons the tactics his dad taught him, and because just like Osamu, this is just something he must do and uh, won't forgive himself unless he takes that chance. That's my standout panel uh, for this volume, actually, when it shows Yuma mirroring Osamu's stance in the background just to show how much he inspired him. 
it's something that um, I only got uh, on this read through too, and uh, a lot of recent volumes were, were Osama rather than Yuma heavy, but uh, yeah, I really like Yuma in this one. Yeah, I think my favorite my favorite excerpt from that fight is definitely Visa's line: uh, "Whether someone is weaker or stronger in comparison is revealed only when the battle is done." Uh, I think that's kind of up there with um, Scruffy Hottie's line to Osamu when they're training about, like, it says a lot about the ethos of how the series approaches battle. As far as the, the pure material goes, this is, it doesn't get much better than this as far as World Trigger goes. It's such creative use of the quirks. The quirks. The quirks. What the flip? I'm I'm looking at a bag with My Hero Academia on it, so that's probably not helping. Okay, such creative use of 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 how the triggers work. I feel like this is the only stretch of the series so far that has utilized non-trion or non-combat bodies outside uh, uh, during combat. I remembered obviously like the big moment with Osamu, but I forgot that Yuma and Miwa also both lose their trion bodies and stay in the fight. Basically, mm. I was like. Oh. Yeah, but basically since, since Miwa can't use Fujin with his regular trigger set, that's a really nice touch, yeah. One thing I will say is that, like, I've kind of been going about how each volume is taken in isolation, and this one is a bit odd on that front, uh, because we come in right with the the fallout of the Enadora stuff, and then <laughs> we cut off just as it's hitting its absolute final climax. Uh, it slightly blue balls us here. I think that overall, uh, Enidora's fights, I've enjoyed uh, much more in the anime. The anime wasn't nearly as as great a quality as it is now, which we should probably mention in Spoiler Corner. That's quite an improvement. But um, uh, I think Enidora's fights works much better in a binge mm. read rather than volume by volume. This time I, I enjoyed Ramba 9 a lot more. Whereas diluting Enidora across three volumes reduced a lot of the tension. Yeah. It didn't help that, like, as visually impressive as Shinoda versus Enidora was, it was difficult to gauge uh, which was whose attack um, at some point. One of the few things that the anime improved on was the clarity here. Also, any any anime watchers watching along didn't have the same problem. <laughs> Maybe that's a, a getting into things a bit, but let's just say they might not have had the same issue. <laughs> judging by how the episodes lined up. Mm, I see. Yeah. Right, so coming back to the theme of the future for a bit, the theme of the future, unlike in We Never Learn, is much more of a better fit here. The countdown uh, until the future crossroads is a particularly well-utilized story device, especially in like chapter 79 when Shiori says it's three minutes until Osama reaches the base, but then, oh, the countdown says it's like ten minutes, so, uh, so what's, what's going to happen there? It's a nice bit of foreshadowing that's Something da dangerous is coming that's, that's going to delay Osama. Fate is handled um, kind of ambiguously in this volume. So on the one hand, Niwa and Scruffy Hottie uh, couldn't avoid the futures. Uh, Scruffy Hottie did get defeated by someone and Niwa had to help Osama, but mm. they also decided on how they were going to get up to that point. Uh, that, that was my kind of reading. And even though Geist was largely inconsequential, yeah, as we said, we, it's managed to shift the future slightly. And Miwa managed to decide that he wouldn't carry uh, Chika's cube for Osamu, despite him flashing back to the time he needed that help from Jin. One really outstanding moment for me is Osamu's inner monologue when Replica is seemingly dead. It's, it's one of the most panicking inner monologues we've seen in the series, and I think it really nails down the nature of that sort of... 
adrenaline fueled paranoid thought process that you'd have in that sort of really uh, stressful crunch situation. Uh, we rarely do uh, have kind of moments like that, and uh, and it really hits hard when it happens. As there are a lot of little touches I liked as well. Uh, even when Karasuma reveals his geist form, uh, the way Irene kind of notes like, oh, this is actually very similar to how we use our trigger technology and how this works. But because you don't have horns, that's why you have this kind of like three minute timer on you. And then you're basically going to self-destruct. Um, I, I just like that way of kind mm. of connecting the two of them that this weird unorthodox style of trigger is actually pretty much sort of a basis of how this entire other culture, you know, kind of sees triggers in a way it, it kind of, really goes to push just how alien Tamakoma's trigger choices are in that way. Yeah, um, I agree. That's really interesting. Moira describing Enadora as a as a promising child is very interesting wording. Because she's only we see in this in the volume extras here that she's only three years his senior, and yet she doesn't seem to consider him an adult at all. Uh and it's I don't it didn't read to me as her mocking him here. It seemed like a very passively descriptive way uh, of talking about him. To be fair, she, she had the the same deadpan face that most characters have, so it could as well be mocking. I mean, yeah, that that, that does tie into why Jin's comment about the future train changing is so ambiguous. Mm. So yeah, I get that. Uh, I did like the uh, moment uh, where... Uh, I'm I'm sorry. I just found it really funny. So uh, Kikuchihara says uh, Enidora killed a few people in communications, and just because on the weekly manga recap server we played Among Us a lot, my immediate thought was Enidora sus. <laughs> now, well, what he doesn't realize it was actually Grail this whole time. <sighs> I knew we couldn't trust the Germans. I knew it. Grail is finished, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, what? No. <laughs> Uh, you're all European. You're all one big lump to me after a while. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> this volume had a lot of resolutions to like t tertiary character arcs, uh, such as, um, for example, Kazama acknowledging Hisato's redemption by providing a distraction for his squad, and then Shinoda mm -hmm. praising Kukuchihara's side effect for being instrumental in defeating Enidora the Explorer. Uh, I, I love his retort, thank me with a bonus instead. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, kind of based. It just doesn't care. Yeah, there's a lot of senpai praising this volume. I think there were a lot of really cool, interesting character moments, just in like very small ways, like how uh, Toma and Narasaka are able to kind of show off that like they're number one and two sniper for a reason. They're able to find a way to like catch a window in high range shots, and you know it's also our introduction to uh, Fuyushima and and a, a, the briefest of glimpses of what a trapper actually means in the context of World Trigger, but hey, there's a captain of a squad, and it's just this dude who look, he's almost 30, which is ancient in, you know, World Trigger terms, basically, <laughs> and he's just hanging, or he just has a laptop, you know? There's no suit, there's no guns, there's nothing like that. He's just a dude on a laptop, and it's, it's such a, like, thought-provoking kind of move to be like, what does that mean in the context of the world? Are there more trappers? Is he someone very, like, is he so unique that this is only, like, the only person in border like this? Like, what does that ultimately mean to everything? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I know I should get uh, into this in Ashihara comments corner, but, but I just have to note how uh, Ashihara thinks that Fuyushima's t-shirt is, is just so ugly. You designed him, mate! <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, one note that, that did raise a question with me is, High Rain said he wanted to capture Izumi and add him to his team. What I'm wondering, is this like a common practice for Afto? And did he mean Izumi himself or just his trigger? Because uh, it seems to imply the former. So I guess that interests me that perhaps we might see when we if we when we get to Afto, uh, what like if we're going to see teams that are sort of compilations of people, assortments of people who are from other worlds. Yeah, I, th I think it was um, it was explained in one of the earlier volume notes that uh, like depending on how much triumph people have, some are kidnapped to become soldiers in their army. Oh, so you're saying basically this is another edition of Hoven Forgot. <laughs> Yes, that's right. It's the segment where Hoven forgets various things from that were established in prior or later volumes. Another uh, detail on Hoven forgot includes the detail of Yuma's body not being actual flesh and blood, but an additional tree on one, personalizing with its school uniform, which is a nice touch to add to the facade to like throw off Visa a bit. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna introduce the new music to this, the section. Not this time. Uh, but I completely <laughs> forgot about the like the Star Maker optional trigger for Gunners. Ah, yes, that that is named after my second favorite My Hero Academia opening. Ah, I never remember the titles from these openings. <laughs> I just remember the One Piece ones, and that's it. That that occupies all of your brain space for anime openings. Yes, yes, I. <laughs> that's all I can do. You only have twenty slots, and you know you just got to pick the best from One Piece, basically. It's so funny because. Because we watched through some of the anime with uh, Wensleydale's girlfriend recently, and uh, we started quoting some of the really like lesser-known newer ones at each other. Like we constantly quote "Yes, we got super powers" <laughs> just at the drop of a hat, <laughs> and no one else knows what we're talking about. Uh, anyway, we'll trigger. Uh, let's see. Are there any others? Oh yeah. Um, I did really like the detail of, um. That it being possible for neighbors to infiltrate the base, but it takes so much time that they could literally barely do it with Replica, who is small enough to be stealthy for it. So that's a good... It, it's not really outright stated, but like that's a good ex explanation for why, if the Afto invaders did have the ability to get into the door, why they wouldn't go ahead and do it, because they'd just be sitting ducks. There's also some... Some deeds on uh, like Miwa's bat battle with High Rain that I barely remembered, uh, such as, for example, Osama being surprised at uh, like him fragmenting the shields for, uh, for more fish to hit them. I, I was kind of surprised that so late in the game uh, was shown that, yeah, you can do that. And also uh, High Rain just cubifying the weight bullets, but more slowly than the others. Uh, in general, making the lead bullets slow and giving it like reduced range. As Replica explains, makes sense because like everyone would be using it all the time otherwise. So I, I really like that explanation from Replica. And yeah, I, I saw it in an earlier volume. It's always a really cool detail for me when there's like a piece of clothing that's flowing and Miwa at the end of his volume with his scarf blowing in the breeze is just the peak of that aesthetic for this series, I think. Definitely. As one of the elders operators, like Ren Tsukimi from Miwa Squad, is comfortable with uh, with giving orders to people from other squads. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought it was something of note, given that we rarely see that otherwise. Yeah, my last note is that I think it's cool to see Mira taking up more of a fight here. Uh, she kind of sort of felt like Afto's equivalent of an operator up until this point. Uh, so it's cool seeing her use her portal abilities more in, in combat directly. Uh, and it's just also very, very cool to have that moment where 
uh, Miwa catches onto it and reveals he's not quite as um, not quite as monkey brained as he might seem. I also I I love the I love the Ashihara character note as well, where he's just like, uh, so her power's stupid and it's broken and it's kind of BS, but oh man, it made things so much easier in a story for me. <laughs> I was so thankful to have her. She's my MVP, favorite character. Uh, speaking of, shall we get into the Ashihara comments corner? Uh, yeah. If uh, so, so, yeah. If Chris, you, you can, you have no more notes, then we can move on. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would have said is that I really, really enjoy the Osamu moment. It, to me, it's it was kind of his standout moment in World Trigger up until something that's happened more recently. But, you know, for years, it's kind of the standout Osamu moment where he decides to deactivate his trigger and, and just make a single run right towards the door. It's It's just so cool. Yeah. And it's him putting himself in so much more peril than Yuma and Miwa are, because Miwa's at least at a distance and not the focus of, of the enemy. And Yuma is, well, like like I said earlier, just in a separate Trion body. I would say it, it was clearly Replica's idea as well. So it, it, it's not like he came up with it, but the to have the conviction to do it, I feel, is, is so much more of the important part of that, that he was able to say, like, all right, I'm going to deactivate this. And I'm just going to go and I'm going to run as hard as I can to try to get my friend to safety before <laughs> I get murdered by these two super soldiers. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was basically my thinking. Uh, I've been kind of wondering uh, for, for the past few volumes, uh, like Osama has kind of a hyperbolized uh, reputation for being a mastermind in large part of the fandom. It's kind of great to remember that that's like he grows into that uh, for, for a large part of the story and uh, he, he didn't always have that. He didn't always have those special tactics. Yeah, it's it's something that it's something that he has to home to the degree that many shonen protagonists have to just hone their own raw abilities. Definitely. Yeah. All right then. Uh, but but yeah, uh, he definitely deserves that uh, number one spot in all the character balls. Yeah. All right then. Uh, if that's all, let's get to the Ashihara comments corner. So, uh, like, the first author note we, we get is uh, about the 2014 Nico Nico Pop and Fan Art Contest Participation Award illustration. Uh, that's a mouthful. It's, first of all, like, very tasteful for a Jump Series bikini poster. I, 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 was, kind of, I was kind of amused by that. Uh, just the Tamakoma girls hanging out with, uh, with uh, Yotaro and, and uh, Raiji Maru. Having a good old bit of summer fun. Yeah. Uh, I like how Ashihara is very adamant about uh, letting the readers know that he didn't add the pattern on Konami's swimsuit. His editor did. That, that wasn't his idea. It's like no one would have pointed out if you hadn't. <laughs> also, he apologizes that, uh, that it's sideways. Also, isn't that just literally the way that it has to be positioned in the volumes because it only can only take up one page? But anyway, uh, I like the minor detail that Moira likes pancakes. Like, all that we know about her aside from that is that she's just... She's at this cold, distant, focused on the on the mission, but she likes those those good old uh, <laughs> those good old pancakes. Uh, she's just like the demon girls from uh, oh shit, what, what's that what's that game called? Hell Helltaker, yeah. Oh yes. I mean, she 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 would feel fake if she didn't enjoy at least pancakes, right? Yeah, like this is this isn't a real person. Uh, I mean, the detail that uh, Chris touched on earlier of. If after Kratol wanted to seriously invade Meden, uh, they wouldn't have stood a chance and cites how her trigger could combine, Moira's trigger could combine really well with others. Ashihara, goddammit, don't get me excited for the away mission. Ah! 
Uh, so we we get the introductions uh, for Yoshima Squad. So also we get to know that Toma is a fan of cats, uh, which makes sense given his later fondness for Izuho's cat, the the evil kitty from F Chakra Tall. Uh, I I feel like because we know that for Yoshima he likes Lego. Um, I feel like he's more of a Lego Technic sort of guy. Over anything else, I uh, I think he grows up to to become the the dad uh, from the Lego movie of uh, fuck what what was his name Mr. Business Will Ferrell oh oh yeah Mr. Business uh, Osamu's lack of respect for Chica is interesting because it's something that just does not translate to me at all um because I guess it's that matter of informality uh towards your upperclassman sister that it, it's just not a thing yeah uh, for I feel like in a lot of English speaking contexts. I was going to say, I don't I, like even reading the comment. I'm just like, I don't know if like my older best friend had a little sister. What I immediately like, I was like, I, I used to pick on my best friend's little sister all the time. That's just what you did. <laughs> like, if I, if I had been like, hello, madame, how are you doing today? Then I would have been crazy. Yeah. I, uh, I guess that's, a, that's just a very Japanese thing. I suppose the new three idiots have any other formations besides bird. Uh, I imagine that with all the animal metaphors in the formations, the new idiot trio could be scouted by F. Chakra Tors. It's like high rain loves animal metaphors. Mr. Uh, Mr. Mr. Discovery Channel. Just scoop it up. And then and then when he realizes they're actually pretty useless in combat, he just makes them form a band because the three new idiots isn't a bad, bad name. And uh yeah, he uses his like his more useless um his more useless trigger formations, like the tortoise and the frog, just as like decoration for their gigs. <laughs> One thing I never realized is that like composed beefcake also uses spider to set his traps. He really is the Perfect all-rounder, I guess. I guess one thing that sort of confused me, I'm I'm not sure what returned to a normal body means, because Ashihara, like, distinguishes it from bailing out. Uh, I guess is it just, like, what Osamu does in this volume, where, and, where he just does trigger off? Because he explains that if you just return to your normal body, your Trion body doesn't recharge the way you would when you bail out. Bailout also takes you back to the base, doesn't it? Because that's what Azumi does when he bails out, so he doesn't just get captured physically by Hyrene as well. Ah, uh, right, it allows you to return. Yeah, that, that does make sense as a distinction. I guess it's just because characters bail out so much more often than they just trigger off, that yeah. it, it just um, doesn't register to me as much. So, so basically, because I'm on a roll with these Among Us metaphors, when you're an imposter, to bail out would be like allowing your body to regenerate uh, and and to just say trigger off would be to vent and, and then your kill count mm. won't regenerate. There we go. <laughs> now I get it. You know, I was confused before, but now, now I, I pieced it all together thanks to your metaphor. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Usami riding Rajimaru in that color spread is so blessed. I'm I'm not surprised Ashihara was ha was very pleased to draw it. Hmm, I, I was going to say I was so happy I was able to draw Usami riding uh, Rajimaru. Yeah, I, th I think a certain someone <laughs> might be too. It's one of Yotaro's like favorite things. Uh, Hyrain must have been studying Medan since before chapter three. Is such a specific point for him to, to draw back to hmm, yeah that, and that's when we revealed the rads right uh, the rads that, that was scouting the actually yeah no it does make sense okay i was just thinking he was picking a random one but yeah no that does make a lot of sense mm. I, i've got one more though it's it's it, it, it's ending off on a rather negative note because the comment on the tsukimi of like her c cup is a bit of a minor yikes and then 
Fuyu, the whole thing on Fuyushima's bio at the end of the 29-year-old who can't say no to a high school girl is a major league yikes. No, why did you do this? Oh, jeez, I kind of missed that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's not great. Uh, at least Ashihara wasn't one of the Shueisha authors that gave, like, a congratulations card to Watsuki. Mm. Shots fired. Yeah. Anyway, a- any other thoughts on the comments? Mm, Ashihara is kind of making me wonder, uh, wonder what the purpose of Regus is in the first place, given that, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. is so much better in every way. Mm. I guess it's just more durable and can transform into a thrown knife but it's i was gonna say we'll probably see somebody at some point who maybe can utilize it in a way that kind of specializes it really shows us why some people might take it over something that otherwise is just far more versatile yeah i i I can uh, i can imagine it like with with attackers like for example with how uh murakami uses it uh we've been shown in this volume yeah. Also, apparently, once we see a squad with an emblem, that's a sign that that they had made a rank at some point. So that would uh, definitely include Kage and Ninamiya, but I, I, I'm surprised it didn't include Ikoma. Where was was the Koma squad? They they never got to a rank, did they? No, but but uh, I don't think we knew that about Kageura and mm. Ninamiya as well either. Yeah. Well, we knew we knew they both had emblems. And we know both of them were expelled from a rank. For different reasons. Ah, oh, there we go. Okay, that makes sense. I, I don't remember that. Uh, the only thing I really wanted to mention, this just shows how dumb I am, I feel like. Uh, Ashihara made a note about how the horns for certain characters were meant to be emblematic. So uh, for Mira, they were meant to kind of be like devil horns to kind of show off her kind of wicked nature. And for Hi- uh, Husei, it's, it's, they're meant to be dragon horns. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'm just dumb and never figured that out for both those characters, what seems like a, a pretty obvious use of symbolism. But I do like the idea you could take an aesthetic choice and, and find a way to still make it very personal for for different characters. To, to be fair, they aren't like very prominent. So on one or two read-throughs, I, I could understand totally missing them. It's all the details of it kind of like, you know, uh, Irene's are almost unnoticeable uh visa doesn't have them at all because he's too old he he kind of came around before they implemented that technology like it's just like the little ways they take one aesthetic that is a part of their culture and take so many different interpretations of it through these characters so shall we proceed to the spoiler corner absolutely let's get to spoiler corner okay then so, how do you want to do this? So, so do, do you want to start with interview question, or do you have some notes? Uh, I'll just say, yeah, I don't have much to go into. I mentioned earlier how I, I love and hate how much this hypes me up for the away mission. Uh, 2024, put it on your calendars, that's when we hit Afkubator. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I guess to get to our last, our last uh, interview question for Chris, uh, what are some of your favourite moments from the series? There's a lot of them. A lot of them are, honestly, as I read through in this invasion arc. I really love the moment with Osamu. I really like the fight with Visa. Uh, I really like just the 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 different levels of seeing the, the, the challenge of those opponents who are just so much stronger. But 
because World Trigger is rarely a, a manga where the battles are all about, well, I'm stronger and I thus will beat you. It's all about like, well, here's actually what our objective is. And it's actually a victory for me if you kill me because it wasted your time and uh, all these different mechanics. So I, I loved so much of that. But there's been a lot in the, the more recent uh, rank wars that have, have really won me over. Most, most specifically the Osamu moment at the end of the last Tomokoma 2 match. That has been something that has felt like has been the payoff to this series for like maybe like five years or so. Mm -hmm. Like it, it really feels like since the beginning of World Trigger, we've been waiting for that moment where Osamu kind of gets one over on somebody really powerful. And it happens. It absolutely happens. And there's still kind of mitigating circumstances to some extent. So it's not like, oh, Osamu's just the, you know, the big the big cock on campus now or anything like that. It's, it's nothing like that, but it, it shows how he's grown and how he's able to have that kind of effective of a moment. And it, it, it was just so satisfying. Yeah. That payoff was, was worth all the wait. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and yeah. Uh, and, and, and one thing that makes me very happy is that I might actually be able to get to see, look forward to seeing that moment animated. Cause I guess if we want to get into world trigger season two, has started airing. There are two episodes out as of the time of recording. And oh my god, what the hell? Why does it look so good now? <laughs> Actual good CGI integration on the Treon soldiers. Some really cool lighting effects which give things a sense of depth. An actual attempt to give scenes a sense of mood and a sense of pace. Oh my god. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. If, if you've like not bothered with the anime because you were put off by season one, I'd, I'd say this is really worth a look if you're a fan. Uh, I'm I'm really surprised by, by the improvement of pacing. J just thank God, thank God that, that they reduced the number of episodes they uh, they gave them. It, mm. It's uh, you know the, the, there won't be a moment when uh, um, when Osama is asked if you were to do this, if you were to contact the neighbor, would you would you do this again, or rather kill the marmod? Uh, would you do this again and put yourself in danger? Five hours later, <laughs> um, Osama thinks yes. Uh, I think that there is there are a couple of chapters in next episode's recap that are literally just one ep one chapter to one episode. It's it's quite yeah. It, it's it's such a shock to the system this this newer season. Um, have you had a chance to check out any of the new season, Chris? Uh, not particularly. No, it's very difficult for me to watch anime just because my ADD goes off too easily and. I generally needed it to be a show where I could understand the language being spoken. Otherwise, I just yeah. I get lost in my phone, or I I, I start getting I start like yeah. cleaning or something like that, and I'm like, wait, what happened? Yeah, and it doesn't help that World Trigger is a show that ha of which the dub is neither particularly accessible nor very good, from what I've gathered. I forgot there was even a dub until you mentioned it. I was like, oh yeah, there was a dub. Yeah, it was it was done by Ocean, right? It's a Canadian company. I think I think it is a Canadian dub, yeah. Um, I have a couple of theories on why this new season looks so good. Uh, for one, the Toei of 2021 is a very different beast to the Toei of 2014. It's like you go back to kind of the middle of last decade and before. They put out a lot of projects like Sailor Moon Crystal, and like the One Piece anime looked very stilted and stagnant. Uh, whereas now, you look at stuff like the One Piece anime with the Wano arc, and the later, the later parts of Dragon Ball Super, uh, the the new Digimon series, which I I have a lot of problems with, but it does look quite nice in a lot of places. Um, 
And I also think that this this second season is made with a different purpose in mind. Uh, because I think season one was very much okay. Let's not to put too many resources into this anime as like just a means to promote World Trigger as an intellectual property. Because uh, a lot of anime are kind of handled like that. They're basically like a glorified promo. And I think now, we're several years later, the manga's been on hiatus for various points and is monthly. And they're aware, like, we still have this very enduring fan base. Let's make it more about catering to giving them a really good product that they'll want to buy the Blu-rays for. As opposed to, let's just try and rope in new people with, like, a very low-end pro- low promotional thing. Uh, so that that's my crackpot theory. <laughs> an anime theory? Yeah, an anime theory. Uh, also, uh, Wensleydale, you had a guess that it would got to the match with Katori and Kakizaki Squad. Um, I actually, uh, now, I, I'm pretty convinced that it's going to go a bit further than that, because the rate they're going is about four chapters per episode, which would take us into the match against uh, Ikoma Squad and Oji Squad. Uh, and also in the opening, when they're showing, because the opening, which is well worth checking out, it's very cool. There's a bit at the start where they show all of the different silhouettes of the various squads, uh, and it lingers on Katori Squad, um, Kakizaki Squad, Oji Squad, and Ikoma Squad a bit longer than the others, at like the point where the vocals come in. Uh, so anyway, that's all of my crackpot theories about the anime. <laughs> No, it's it's interesting. I'm just I'm just wondering since I was I was kind of thinking they would kind of get the chunks of the arcs that they have left uh, at the end of the rank wars. Um, I'm just now wondering what, what they're going to do for season three then, since uh, my original theory was that uh, yeah uh, they're going to finish with the Uber Squad match and uh, with the finish of the rank wars. Can you imagine when the anime gets to the draft and people are like. Did I did I spend an entire episode watching them draft teams for a tournament that hasn't even happened yet? Not even a tournament, just an event that hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> like if it reaches one piece level of like Toei animation where they have to actually stretch one uh one chapter into an episode. So that the first half of the, 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 the draft is just one episode. Everyone's like, <laughs> I didn't even get all three rounds in this episode. Uh, it, it would be like the the uncut original version of the Reverie arc in the One Piece anime, which is basically just, they they just use it as an excuse to do a bunch of almost full recap episodes, but not quite, so you still have to watch the whole episode <laughs> to get, like, the in-between canon material. Oh, dear. It, it's not fun. Uh, I gotta say, as uh, as an animator, this episode w- w- would be my dream. This is basically ju- just characters sitting around and talking. That's great. I mean, yeah, no, it literally, it's because I feel like I've heard a lot of speculation that the reason they did it, they handled the arc this way, is that it was an easy place to insert this, and they wanted to get things prepped for Wano, where they completely overhaul the look and make it look way better, so, yeah. Oh, Wano, okay, uh, for a second there, I, I was I was thinking you, you were talking about World Trigger, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's confusing. It's because they're by the same studio, and they've- No, no, you, you, you remember the Wano arc in World Trigger, right? <laughs> they all get samurai swords, and they have to fight against the giant Gyarados. It's pretty, it's pretty dope. You haven't read it yet? Uh, I mean, I'm imagine, uh, I imagine that uh, they are gonna like visit a few worlds before after Kratos. So, so why not insert a Wano planet? That's perfectly simple. Can you imagine 
Like, I, I guess in my mind, it could theoretically happen since, you know, generally when you're a fantasy series at some point, when you create worlds, they're just based off of some theme. But if a, char- a bunch of characters from Japan travel into space and they're like, wait, there's one planet that's just an entire Japanese culture land. I don't understand. <laughs> it has nothing but Sakura trees and, and fucking and flower uh, tr- like the uh, castles everywhere i don't understand why why is everyone a samurai here oh my god uh, chris can you imagine it's it's just all the one arc characters uh, in, inserted into world trigger and for some reason also matsukaze from from dr stone is there oh no you're so boring no stop it <laughs> you're so boring but you're drawn so cool yeah hey I'm, I'm i'm up on him now he's not dr chelsea so he gets a plus in my book i like dr chelsea i think she is quite amusing and I don't know. She, uh, we're getting off topic. (laughs) We're we're all allowed to be wrong at some point in our life. It's fine. (laughs) No, 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 no. Let's do this. Let's do this right now. Doctor Chelsea is perfectly fine and amusing, and her main problems are kind of indicative of the way Inagaki writes tertiary characters into his cast awkwardly i don't really see why so many people find her so annoying. It's because she uses the most annoying lingo and maybe some of that's just the way they kind of translate but i mean i feel like some of that lingo is still direct where it's just like oh where he's got to go totes over the mountain over there and i'm just like i hate you i hate you i don't i don't like you i don't like any part of you it doesn't bother me but yeah fair enough. i wish i wish they had thrown you in the mobile lab and then sent it off i hate you i don't know maybe i can tolerate that lingo but because i uh, i use some of it sometimes I also kind of dislike her because that's the trouble with Inagaki's writing. At some point, his cast becomes so huge that doesn't have the time to give his established cast an, an equal focus or development like he used to. I could easily think that like uh, her role could be fulfilled by Chrome learning some geography. This is supposed to be a series about learning, so why not? Yeah, I mean... I, I shall 21 gave him 22 characters and he used like 11 of those... So I guess he's maybe he's showing less restraint. It's weird. Anyway, uh, which trigger would Senku use the best? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, it had to be like he'd be like a shooter, right? You you would definitely be a shooter because he it, it's all about like the mixing of different bullet types and changing their direction and delaying them. That like that feels like that's perfect for his brain. Yeah, he would definitely use composite bullets and maybe with the lead bullet as the optional trigger, the tungsten bullet. Yeah. Uh speaking of questions, <laughs> let's go to our Q&A. Okay, so the first question uh, is from Arcus Rhapsody uh, from the WMR server, uh, and it's very appropriate to this episode because it's about Among Us. You didn't kill me or suss me on my birthday. You're a man of your word. So which character would uh, try and kill Osamu in Among Us, and uh, uh, would try to kill Osamu in real life? Okay, so in Among Us, I think Midorikawa, he likes to taunt people, and but he's kind of playful. Like, characters like Miwa and Katori just wouldn't want to play with him. <laughs> uh, and in real life, I mean, Kido, the moment Osamu becomes disadvantageous to his plans, I think. Uh, uh, I think the Afto invasion squad feel a bit obvious, because they actually do try and kill him. On the border side, I, I could imagine maybe Miwa. 
Uh, I would say Katori for, for a joke, but not really. In Among Us, I, I suppose that uh, everyone would try to kill him, but because that's the point of the game when you're the imposter, innit? Yeah, I was going to assume that if it, if, if it is in Among Us, I feel like Katori would try to kill him and she would go out of her way to like murder him in a room full of people just mm -hmm. to feel the satisfaction of it. Like, she gets caught immediately. <laughs> she doesn't even care about <laughs> There's no defense. She just hunted him down and murdered him in, like, like an electrical with, like, four other people around them or something like that, you know? Uh, you just got Makamura, who's just like, come on, Katori, let let's play this game. It might help you chill out a bit. And she is just not being a team player at all. <laughs> uh, we have two more questions uh, from Arcus. Yeah, no, yeah, I was going to say. Also from Arcus Rhapsody, uh, where would Osamu and Katora go for their honeymoon? Hmm. I mean... In real life or in fan fiction? Let's say first in fan fiction. I mean, uh, we were dying to ask you uh, about your future plans for World Trigger Into My Heart and Backdoor. Uh, well, as an author, and this is where I cross my legs and I put on my beret, <laughs> as an artiste, you would understand that uh, sequels often dilute the original project, but sometimes they can create interesting opportunities, which is where I would consider this... A location needs to be something that can fill the story, can make it thrive, can can uh, bring it to a new level. Uh, oftentimes, the location needs to become a character itself within this new story. So to that, I would say maybe like a David Buster's, but it has a bunch of dildos in it. <laughs> like that could work. I, in real life, I assume they would just go to like... Uh, I don't know, like a beach or something like that. Osamu <laughs> seems like a pretty simple person. Uh, yeah, I, I put I, I put in that they'd go to a sports retreat where she constantly tries to prove to him how superior she is at every given activity, uh, but he just gets really, really into tennis and basically reenacts the manga Baby Steps, where he has his, like, slow burn, just getting to grips on the, on the sport. He ha makes loads and loads of notes on how to hone his strategy. He's just got his own little, like, mini underdog sports manga going on there. But... <laughs> He, he cannot be baited. At the same time, Yuma is doing Prince of Tennis. <laughs> That's unfair. How did Yuma get stuck with such a worse manga? Yeah. Uh, I would think that Osama and Kitora would obviously go to her family home in Russia. Uh, I, I've got a question for you. Do you think that after weddings, uh, she would still call him C-rank? Yeah, 100%. No, no, now you are a B-rank. <laughs> oh, I feel like her entire life, she would use the most demeaning name for him. That just seems, that feels right on, on cue for her character. Exactly. So, uh, the third question uh, we have from Arcus is, what do you think is the most anticlimactic moment in World Trigger, in your opinion? Oh, uh, let's see. I got, I got, hmm, I've got a lot of joke answers here. Uh, let me, let me sort through them. Uh, it finally getting an anime and it barely being animated. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, the manga coming back after several <laughs> years and Ashihara just continuing to expo dump like nothing's happened. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess... The brief match at the tail end of the B-Rank Wars is a bit of a weird one after we've just had the big emotional catharsis of the arc and then suddenly we're like, but let's just flesh out what the others, like the runners-up, are doing. Um, though I suppose in hindsight that's not too bad since they are re reintegrating those characters into the away mission tests, so it's probably not one that would read too badly to newcomers just getting into the series now. Yeah, it seems now, in retrospect, that it's very important that we saw that Katori match, 
because that did inform a lot about how her characters kind of change each had that moment where she's like all right i'll listen to you walk more and he just eats it he can't he can't actually lead them in any way so she just has to take over it, it feels like a moment like that to some extent is going to happen in this next arc since she's on osamu's team but yeah it'll be interesting to see it develop but at the time you're like why are we reading this i don't understand <laughs> see i'm kind of surprised because i was one of the people who kind of liked that yeah it's it's kind of the round of uh, of the rank wars let's see what everyone else is up to just say goodbye to these characters because we're, we're leaving for the away mission let's <laughs> let's remember the good times we spend with them but i totally agree that it can be pretty tiring at first glance given given how slow uh, well, Trigger's releases. Ashihara's dedication to his slow burn and just how much he loves his world and showing you every part of it is something that I both love and also can get pretty, fr- you know, it's it's just, it's a bit ridiculous at times. <laughs> it, it really is something where you're like, I hate this, but at the same time, if you weren't like this, I don't think I ever would have fallen in love with this manga <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Most anticlimactic intentionally or not? I thought of a moment that I really liked during the match with Ninamiya and Azuma squad and Kagura squad. Ninamiya and Azuma choosing to wait out the battle after uh, after Tamakoma is eliminated was a really interesting one. It, it it was it was a very valid strat, and also the anticlimax here is very well timed since very well timed tonally since Tamakoma is out of the picture anywho, and uh, we're kind of still processing the loss. Mm. Yeah, so like a big bombastic finisher wouldn't quite... It, it might take away from that a little? Yeah, I thought it was really well placed um, as an anticlimax there. I I got really kind of bummed that we spent a lot of time learning about how cool Yuba was, and about how he can quick draw his gun so fast, and he's He's very dangerous, and he might be the only person to take down Ninomiya. And then he didn't really feel like a huge factor in their actual fight. Um, I understand that a lot of that was because Ninomiya specifically put a lot of pressure into basically countering him so that he couldn't be the one to take him down. But it was definitely a moment where I was like, I, we spent a lot of time reading about how cool Yuba was, and then Yuba did not do anything particularly cool, so... I am hoping we get something from him later on to be like, okay, now I can see why he's cool and we spent all that time learning about him, because otherwise it was a pretty big bummer. Yeah, I mean, I went I went through that whole stretch of the arc in one go because I took a long break from World Trigger until the Rank Wars ended. Uh, and yeah, it definitely was like, it's a shame we didn't get to see more of him, but I could also see like, this arc clearly wants to clearly wants to focus on Shinami Shinami I did it again <laughs> Ninamiya as the ma- chef Ninamiya as the main <laughs> the, the primary rival there yeah from Randall 55 on Reddit uh where would replica place in solo rank wars he has low durability with a sh- without a shield but his move set is crazy they wouldn't because like just like Jin and Tamakoma one people they don't use a standard trigger but I, I suppose if if they use maybe a shooter trigger Maybe they would be a like the second rank shooter after Izumi, I could imagine. I also I'm not sure if it's that they have low durability mm. or that they went up against high rain. Can seemingly cubify body parts at an instant with his Trion animals. Uh whereas Replica, it took quite a while for the rabbit body to get worn down. What do you think, Chris? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to really make that comparison at all, because in a rank war or in a solo rank war, yeah, they are supposed to be kind of gauged off of using a similar skill set. So unless it was somebody in that same vein, it's tough to say. Um, and, but Replica is very powerful, but yeah, the idea that, you know, without a shield, it could be easy to surprise them. But also just Replica has so much knowledge in him as well that may play such a huge factor. So I don't know. I, I think uh, I, I would suppose particularly well, though, uh, because uh, it is uh, a very effective character. But again, I don't know who they could possibly go up against. that would really pose like a fair fight for either side. A lot of the time, because we got another with matchup questions, because we got another one coming up of, is there a squad that can take on high rain? Another one from Randall 55. Uh, and I feel like the, the criteria you kind of have to use is, is often if we wiped all memories of the characters of, of what they know about each other from before the start of the series, what could they do there? Do any of, do either of you have answers for that matchup, by the way, of which squad could take on high rain? In this particular fight, uh, I guess it would be a squad that has like specific counters against High Rain, uh, such as uh, we've seen like how for a while Niwa could take him on and gain a bit of an advantage with with his lead bullets. But uh, you could argue that like more heavy hitters could deal a lot a lot more damage, given that they they have to make him use up his strength before he can re regenerate from the from the try and he cubified. Yeah. So. Um, I guess my answers would be maybe Tachikawa alongside Izumi, or maybe Miwa alongside his squad. Honestly, for me, the current incarnation of Tamakoma 2 would be a pretty good matchup, because you have Yuma with the Nontrion projectiles he can launch with Grasshopper, you have Chika, who is a very destructive sniper with lead bullets uh, at her disposal, and then you have Hughes, who is someone who, even at the start of the series, has a probable knowledge of high range strategies. Part of what allowed him to dominate so much in the after invasion is that he had his teammates to back him up. Uh, on his own, I think he'd be tough, but he'd be beatable. Yeah, I think Tamakoma 2 is a really good one. Uh, Miwa squad in general, we saw that both uh, Biwa himself and uh, Narasuma, I think is the, or Narasaka, the sniper, like they were, they were both able to put pressure on him in different points. So you had to assume the two of them working together, plus Yonea, plus fourth guy, who's very important. He's he's such an important character. Chris, honestly, how could you forget the famous uh, WMR joke character Kadero want fuck fuck? Ooh, no, I don't think I've uh, heard that one before, but uh, I do appreciate a character. You came up with this joke. Did I? <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, look, all I'm saying is uh, Satori, I think is his name. He's the, the two sniper guy from Arashiyama Squad. This guy is less mm. impressive than even him, but I suppose he could at least throw himself into like a bunch of attacks to like, defend <laughs> the rest of the team who are actually good. Uh, outside of that, I actually think Fu Fuyushima Squad might also be good uh, because it takes this character who is just basically like a walking whirlwind uh, and kind of forces him to be the aggressive one and to get in close range because otherwise it's just going to be Fuyushima sniping him. And we know that he, you know, he can make those shots uh, and then a trapper who's just going to make things very, very difficult for him going forward. So I feel like that could absolutely be something that works. 
Yeah, especially with like traps utilising rubble. I, I could see that. Is that all the questions from Randall? Yes, that is. All right then. So Argent the King from the WMR server, or King Waza, uh, asks, we know A-rank squad members can request special triggers when Tomacoma 2 reaches A-rank. Would there be any new triggers or alterations to current ones you would like them to request? What do you think? Uh, give Hughes a mohawk uh, for his tree on body. <laughs> that, that's all I request. For style or for mobility purposes, like to, to, to make it more aerodynamic? Both. Why not? Okay. All right. So at this point, we really do not know what trappers do in the grand scheme of things. We know that there was something that Fuyushima did to basically kind of teleport the different snipers in this evasion battle here. I feel like that is something that I would like to see Osamu get a hold of because he kind of seems to work best as sort of like this quasi operator on the field who can sometimes have ways to fight on his own, but also has like ways to maybe like do tricks and things like that i mean i don't know if it'll work exactly but i would like i would be interested in seeing if there's something like that some kind of like advancement from the spider that he could potentially do yeah um that's a very good point i, I raised this last episode that uh, uh osama has kind of become a bit of a trapper lately and uh, like him learning how to engineer new traps from fuyashima and uh maybe maybe getting a device that allow him to place a lot of spiders at the same time and uh, yeah, as, as you mentioned, like a tel teleporter trigger exists, and uh, we've seen them, we we've seen it like used by Arashiyama squad and stuff. It will be quite interesting. Yeah, I was also kind of considering why didn't Chica get chameleon yet? Like uh, hiding is very important for snipers, and like she's got the triumph for it. So yeah, go for it. Mm. Yeah. So another one from Arjun the King is uh, we know dogs exist in multiple places in the neighborhood. What animals would you like to see on other planets, and do you think they're like ours? I mean, I think the planet they're from is dead, but I would like to see at some point a world where we see that in that world, capybaras are basically <laughs> dragons. You know, they're like they're like the apex predator of the world, but they're still just as chill and fuzzy. <laughs> uh, I I want that world. I want I, I don't know where it is. The world that uh, Rajan Maru is from is dead, I believe. But I'd like to think that like mm. in their world, they're like the. <laughs> They're like cats to the Egyptian society. Like, they are revered as gods. Mm, yeah, that's perfect. Like, Hyrain, uh, Mr. Discovery Channel ha has shown us that fish, birds, and bees, and and everything, it's basically shaped the, the same way that ours are. Our other things that we can see is, is like, what the Trion soldiers are based on. If they are based on any specific kind of animal, that's kind of different from ours. Or if they are basically just a design that someone came up with that has no uh, resemblance in nature. Yeah, I mean, I think the ones for me is like the ones with a really wacky look, like a giraffe. Or maybe just one of the more bizarre ones, like a tardigrade. Maybe it's a world where a tardigrade is like, <laughs> like Chris said earlier, just an apex predator. It's this hyper-evolved being compared to what it is here and is actually somewhat useful for something. And then we have the third question for King Walza, which is, uh, which of the border squads has your favorite uniform, and would it be better with a silly hat? No, none of them are better with silly hats. Silly hats should be removed forever. Ugh. I'm saying this in solidarity with my podcast co-host Nick, who hates Tai Chi and his stupid hat. <laughs> they've been they've been mocked by the mangaka himself, but 
I kind of dig the big ass coats of Tachikawa unit, uh, Tachikawa squad. <laughs> I-, I mentioned earlier the aesthetic of things blowing in the wind, and they capture that pretty well. And uh, better with a silly hat? You betcha. Give them all novelty shower caps with like animal themes. I too liked uh, Tachikawa's uh, squad's uniforms uh, for like their edginess, and also Katori's squad's uniforms. Um, I think are kind of nice looking. Mm, they're very sleek. So Katori's squad, uh, I think, uh, would be um, would be good with French berets for some reason, and uh, with Tachikawa squads, fuck it, le- uh, let's uh, all of them get Jotaro hats. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I really like Ninomiya Squad. I I like their outfit. I like just the clean suit that has like the holsters on it. Uh, but there's something very elegant and sleek to it. It's one of those like lessons I like was taught really early on, like really like when I was a kid, where they're just like, yeah, you know, like as a guy, you'll never look better than when you're in a nice suit. And I I think that's nonsense. But I still do like the way a suit looks on somebody. It does like create this sense of elegance, mm. and uh, I feel like. At least for Ninomiya himself, I feel like that is the perfect look for him. Just this clean-pressed black suit. And his, his other two cohorts look, look good in it as well. Mm. Plus, it's different. Everything else feels so science, like futuristic, sci-fi, weird colors, or you know, different kind of odd angles or things like that. Nope, just suits. There's like little fucking pouches on the side or whatever. But otherwise, just suits. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, like, the least militaristic, too. Yeah. 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 We have one final question uh, from Hoven with an H from Duckface Diaries and uh, Hoven's Hideaway, <laughs> uh, which is, uh, we well... Who could that be? Who could that be? Uh, we saw... We, we had explained in the volume extras of this, this volume uh, that you can personalise how you activate your trigger with, like, what, you, what signal you'd give and, uh, like what you might say to announce it instead of just trigger on. Uh, how would you personalize your trigger activation? I'm really curious about your answers, Chris. Ugh, I mean, <laughs> I'm such a child. The stuff that makes me laugh the most is the dumbest. <laughs> so in my mind, I really like the idea of just a, lar- a loud uh, fart sound effect <laughs> playing, and that's what, like that's what activates my trigger or something like that. Do, do you like make it? Do you make it with your mouth? Or do you play it on a recorder? Uh, yeah, uh, like I have a device like in my palm. I hit a button and immediately it just starts going. <laughs> it just goes on for a really long time. Uh, otherwise, I could imagine that Kido would be quite angry with you. Uh, oh, oh, geez. Uh, no, so- sorry, I can't transform. I can't join this battle. I, I don't really feel like, you know, giving the signal at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, oh, yeah, I don't I don't have the gas built up in me to transform right now. He's like, gas? What, the- <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the one that I came up with was shake it three times and yell, who put marmalade in this? <laughs> well, my idea was, uh, I have three ideas. So first, I am the Glob Gob Gabgalab. <laughs> yes! <laughs> then there is one that I would actually give to someone else, and it's just the word the. <laughs> uh, it activates and deactivates randomly. And also, uh, Alabama Poppy Far, sure. Nice. Uh, and that covers all our questions. All right, then. So, yeah. Uh, shall we round off? Let's do it. 
All right then. So that is going to do it for the ninth episode of Duckface Diaries. You can listen to us on so many podcast hosting sites: Anchor.fm slash Cheddar, YouTube.com slash C slash Cheddar. That's where all the links are, and the links are as follows: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Podbay, Play FM, Listen Notes, Castro, Google Podcasts. Remember that much like the neighborhood, the YouTube algorithm is a dark abyss of sorrows and woes from which channels like these never surface. And what helps us navigate us is liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast with a friend. On the YouTube channel and the same RSS feed, you get access to not only Duckface Diaries, but Manga Mosaic, a collection of podcasts and video essays on other manga titles, short and long alike. Uh, recently, we put out a bottom nine list for the 2020 jumpstart, and uh, yeah, I'm planning to cover the, the top nine next month. So, Chris, where can people find you and Weekly Manga Recap? Uh, you guys can find me if you want to check out uh, Weekly Manga Recap. You can find it on iTunes and on Podbean. You can just search Weekly Manga Recap. We also record episodes Wednesday nights, usually sometime between 7.30 to 8 o'clock Eastern is when we'll start over on my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Rollity. And if you want to hear me play a bunch of wacky characters in a D&D actual play show that ends up being more emotional and sad than anything else, mostly because of me, uh, and I just like telling sad stories because you know things in my life anyway you can find that over at dice funk which you could find on youtube you can find it on podbean you can find it on itunes and uh it's it's a lot of really good stuff on that i highly recommend checking it out have, have you ever uh, i was gonna ask have you have you ever liked tried uh doing the random magic table uh again uh, on the show or uh, in any other dnt group no i don't think i ever could again it, it, <laughs> that's something you do once and you're like that was very fun but oh man it's so much pressure you're at to constantly adapt to everything <laughs> and i think austin's pretty much said at this point he's like it's never happening on this show again <laughs> uh, uh you see i think if i started to do that with a character i, I could never stop I mean, there is a part of me that just wants chaos every time I do anything, but, uh, you know, for the sake of Austin, is his, his poor, somewhat scripted series, uh, I, I have to I have to hold back a little bit. I get you. Uh, so, uh, Hoven, plug a sister show? Yes, uh, check out Hoven's Hideaway uh, at all of the same kind of places, anchor.fm slash Hoven's Hideaway, uh, youtube.com on Hoven with an H. Uh, there is a re- I put out a recent Hideaway Rambled, my solo podcast side series, in which I attempt to summarise and explain Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in its entirety, in a way that is friendly to newcomers, because uh, I don't know anyone who's willing to jump on board seven seasons of that at this point. Uh, emphasis on the attempt. Uh, but yeah, please give that a watch. Uh, I'm curious, Chris, how long did you end up keeping up with that? Because I remember you you covered it back on the now-defunct MCU podcast. Yeah, uh, let me think how far in I got. Um, I think I think I stopped right before Yo-Yo was a part of the team. I don't even know if Yo-Yo was a, a major character. I think it was, like, through the third season? Okay, okay. There, there was a major character who died, a major evil character, and I think shortly after that, I kind of stopped, and then I, I kept following their Twitter account, so I'd occasionally get glimpses, but it became very incomprehensible very quickly. I guess there was alternate realities or something at some point? I don't know. Yeah, no. Uh, all of this craziness and more that I... Life model decoys. <laughs> yes, all this craziness and more that I go into in this video. Uh, it's quite a ride of a show. Oh, man. It's 
sounds bonkers. I'll check that. I've literally never watched it, so I'm, I'm just thinking, hey, hey, you guys, remember the chapter of Yu-Gi-Oh where Joey was beaten up by a yo-yo gang who used the yo-yos <laughs> inappropriately because they beat up people with yo-yos? Oh, kill me. I'm honestly shocked we haven't gotten a full-on yo-yoing manga at this point. It feels like at some point we would have had it. Obviously. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, uh, ch- check out um, World Trigger, A Love Letter to Underdogs, a video essay analytical review type thing where I basically break down why I think World Trigger works so well as an underdog narrative and um, why it's worth checking out. Uh, share it to your friends who you want to get into the series. Yeah. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Go check it out and go check out Dust Falcon Wiki Manga Recap. And if you'd like to help me upload Dark Face Diaries on a regular basis, consider supporting me on patreon.com slash Cheddar. In return for your support, you get access to many different rewards, uh, well-triggered Duckface avatars, requesting a short series to be covered on the Manga Mosaic podcast, requesting a series to be covered on a long-form video essay, uh, a lot of stuff. High-level contributors get access to manga threads for series from the Shonen Jump Vault I'm reading the very first time, including my first impressions on the chapters and standout panels. Currently reading Yu-Gi-Oh! and just the $3 tier, so come check it out. Help me reach goals such as reviving World Trigger Abridged or more manga video essays. Now patrons can vote on the subject of the video essay every time we hit a milestone. Send us emails, questions, comments, suggestions at wensleydale 12 at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at Duckface Diaries or individual Twitters at Wensley Cheddar and at Hoven with an H. Yeah. A sincere thank you to Milo Jack Stillers who composed our new ending theme, an orchestral rendition of Girigiri, the first opening sequence for World Trigger. You can find his work at soundcloud.com slash Milo Jack Next time! We are covering Volume 10, which I had to edit in my notes from Volume 9, because I was consistent with my screw-ups, which covers chapters 80 to 88, and the rest of episode 35, to the very start of episode 40. Watch along as you will. Alrighty then. Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. If there's any volume in the future in the rank wars that you'd like to discuss with us, it'd be a pleasure to have you on in the future. Absolutely. I'd love to be on. You tell me. Alright. You drop a date. You put it on my calendar. You shoot me an email. (laughs) Actually, I want want a, a carrier hawk to send a message. If you send Carrier Hawk, I'll answer. I'll do whatever date you want. Oh, fuck. Uh, can, can we do that over the Atlantic? Jesus. Uh, I, d- I don't know. Carrier Hawks, they're a, they're a prime transmitter of COVID. <laughs> uh, I'm not too sure about this plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I suppose we can't. Okay. Oh, well. We'll never have Chris on the show again. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> the, this was the ninth episode of Duckface Diaries, and as always, it's time to bugger, bugger off. off.